Hey guys, today we're doing something a little different today. Uh, kind of two things. One, uh, a slight announcement as well as just reflecting. I've done 43, 44 of these and just been having a blast. Um, so this is a reflection episode. I get a little bit personal. So if that's not for you, that's okay. Listen to the next one. Um, I felt that I should reflect on the process because it's just been so fun. But at the same time, in a weird way, it feels bigger than me. Maybe, um, here's some thoughts that just the, the podcast has made a big impact on my life. Uh, just to sit down and ask people about what makes you tick. Where did you come from? What's in your life that has happened to you that has impacted you on a great level. Uh, and it seems like everybody I talk to has these similar stories and everybody I talk to, it's super relatable for me. They're talking about being young and somebody mentioning something, uh, that made a huge impact on them or how fixated they were on this certain thing. And just, yeah, I don't know, for some reason it just really sticks to me and it's just, I don't know, been so enjoyable, so fun to listen to, so fun to just be a part of this process. Uh, but I feel like I've learned a lot. My perspective has changed even in 43 or 44 of these, whatever it's been. Uh, and it's just crazy that just asking these questions and getting down to the nuances of it. I'm, I'm I, yeah, just learning about personality, learning about, what makes people tick, learning about passions, obsessions themselves, all of it. But here's a few of the the bigger takeaways that I've taken is uh, number one is little moments, little moments make a huge difference in people's lives. So if you see something in someone, share that with them, not like physical compliments, but things like, wow, you are great at this activity, or have you ever considered doing this? Or you seem like you'd be a natural at this. Have you ever considered this? Um, a lot of people that I've been talking to, like those little moments, somebody, an adult noticing a kid or even an adult noticing an adult or a kid noticing a kid or whatever it might be, somebody noticing something within a person that that person didn't even notice themselves, set them on a trajectory to, I mean, a career, right? Whatever it might be. Um, another thing I've learned is, and it's the cliche as ever, is chase your passion. Like I mean, people have been on here and they're talking about it and sitting across from them. It's just been so easy to be like, why are you not doing this? You're pumped about this. You need to make a part about this. You need to make this a part of your life. 30 years from now, if you look back, you will regret not doing this. So you need to find a way to make this happen. Uh, another big takeaway is that we're all super similar, even though we feel different. I mean, it's a human need for connection that never changes. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, just basically just lay down your differences and find the, the similarities and the beauty in people. Uh, you, chances are you both agree on almost everything. And the 5% you don't agree upon is somewhat systematically spreading you apart through other circumstances, social media and all this other kind of stuff. Um, getting into this process, I was getting into it. This is another lesson for me. Uh, I was getting into it because I just really, really enjoy having true, genuine conversation. Like none of the small talk, how's the weather, whatever else. Uh, and I've just confirmed how much I enjoy the heck out of that doing this. Uh, there's an element of having the microphone here that will hold one back from talking about something that's, you know, maybe detrimental to your life or too far or an inappropriate joke or whatever it might be. Uh, but as to me, this process has felt as genuine as it can be uh, while also sharing it with the world. Um, I have noticed it might change the way I ask the question, but it's the question still rooted in truth. I mean, it's if I'm sitting 
having coffee with somebody, I might ask the question a slightly different way versus I know that this is going to the public. So I want to phrase the question in a way that makes sense to somebody listening to this. But the, the, the truth is there, the reality is there, the interest is there, whatever it might be. So there's an element where it does maybe change the inflection or whatever it might be. But as again, with sharing it with the world, it's as close as you can get to genuine. And I've just reconfirmed with myself how much I do enjoy this. Um, uh, another thing I've learned at and before I got on here, I wrote these down. So I'm going through a list, but on a, on a personal level, it's a, it's a weird headspace to do this. Like if you're sitting around at a hunting camp telling jokes, you get instant feedback on if your joke was well received or not, whatever else. So doing this and putting it out there is just weird. Like I enjoy it for me. I wouldn't do, I, I'm so glad I did this. I'll continue to do this um, because it lets me sit across from somebody and, and really opens doors that wouldn't have been open before <clears throat> for whatever reason in this setting, being super intentional about it, it opens those doors to say, Hey, I probably would never run across you in in our normal lives, but let's sit down and do a podcast and let's explore your life. And it opens that up, but it's just weird to record yourself and put yourself out there. I've had a ton of positive feedback and I really, really appreciate that. I mean, it means a lot for sure. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know where to go from with that other than just say it's weird and I appreciate feedback that you guys have given and all the support and recommendations and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, another, the, I mentioned an announcement, uh, b- crazy busy summer, uh, three little ones at home, real estate, whatever else. And uh, also through this podcast, I've sat across from 40 people and said, hey, why aren't you pay- chasing your passion? Why are you've been talking about doing this for years? Why are you not doing this? I can't really totally get into it, but because of that, I will be doing something this fall that is, I never would have thought possible. Um, as long as everything works out, I'll be doing it. And the, the crazy part is I never would have pursued it without doing this podcast. And I, and I'll get into it later at some point, maybe, but again, it's a, it's a side note. It's a personal thing, even maybe kept private. Um, but just pursuing a passion within the, uh, an outdoor passion that I have. Um, the, just the crazy part is again, I would never have done this had it not been for starting this podcast, but having it be so easy to sit across from people and say, Hey, why are you not doing this? Eventually you look in the mirror and say, why are you not doing this? But a few closing thoughts is just, Thank you to everyone who is gracious enough to hop on the podcasts. Really, really appreciate it. I mean, you're putting yourself out there for a lot of the, my guests. It's been <clears throat> something where they haven't been podcast guests before. Uh, so you're putting yourself out there to the public. You don't know who's going to listen. You don't know who's going to scrutinize what you're going to say. Uh, so I really appreciate all the guests that have come on here. Uh, and, and also thanks to all the folks who have recommended people like that's been the continued list. When I started this, I started with a list of like 20 names saying, these are the people that I want to talk to. These are the people that I'd really enjoy to talk to. Um, since then it's all just been organic. People have said, Hey, have you ever talked to this person? It seems like everybody you talk to says, Hey, you should talk to this person. So on that note, if you guys can think of anybody, please send them my way. I mean, I've gotten recommendations that I haven't gotten to yet because I just add them to my list and slowly but surely I am going down the list and and seeing where it goes. Um, And I guess I hope this journey, my journey, I'm doing this podcast, has inspired others to think about their own lives, their relationships, their passions. Uh, Think about what makes you tick. What are you inspired by? But I also like really focusing on the, again, even I talk about personalities and stuff a lot on here is realizing that you are a certain way 
whether you want to be or not. And what is that? And what do you thrive and what do you, what do you gravitate towards and finding a way to live a life that fits what that personality style is. And I don't think there's an age for that, like an age limit. If you're five years old, 10 years old, 70 years old, I think there's huge, at least I found huge benefit in really pursuing and being intentional with what I'm interested in and what I gravitate towards. So just hopefully this has inspired people to think about that. Uh, Relationship side of things too, for some reason, that's a big one for me is just thinking, how do you treat people? Friends, coworkers, relatives, cousins, family members, whatever else. Um, And really just thinking about that and man, how big of an impact on everybody you make and just being conscientious about how you treat the world and what you're putting out there. Um, and yeah, nothing to do with me, but just for you personally, what are you looking for out of life? Again, back to the same thing. Are you treating for other people around you with grace? Uh, and, and also really, are you treating yourself with respect that you deserve based on, you know, the fact that you've lived an awesome life and you have your own unique personality and passions and interests and whatever else. Uh, something I thought that would be fun to do is just, again, this is just a short, close, uh, short reflection, that announcement, not even an announcement, but just saying that I'm doing that thing, but how the announcement ties in, uh, which I'm getting back around to right now is that, um, moving forward, I think I'm just going to start doing one episode per week just so I can have some more balance between work, life, family, whatever else. And then I'll be taking a temporary break from recording episodes. So hopefully have six to seven weeks of episodes recorded ahead of time. That way when I'm out, those six to seven weeks will be, uh, still have episodes in the queue ready to go for people who have enjoyed hanging along. So, uh, but anyway, something I thought that would be fun to do here is I've had so much fun through this whole, every episode has been unreal. I, I, I thought here it'd be fun to share a little blurb from each one, uh, to just show what I thought was the coolest moment, maybe not the coolest moment, but a really cool moment from each episode that maybe encapsulates what I'm shooting for with this whole podcast. So if you want to hear the little highlights, at least my own personal highlights, here they are. Otherwise, feel free to just cut it off here and catch you again next week. But again, really appreciate any support that's out there. Um, If you guys have any guests that you think would be a good recommendation, please let me know. Otherwise, again, thank you. Nine years ago, out of the blue, one of my friends asked me to go pheasant hunting hmm. and it was spur of the moment. I don't even know why I said yes. And I had never pheasant hunted, hadn't grouse hunted or serious grouse hunted even in years. And my cell phone rang one day at the shop and, uh, want to go pheasant hunting? We're leaving tomorrow. I said, yes. Huh. And when I hung up, I thought, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I called my wife and she's like, what does it cost? I have no idea, right. <laughs> but I'm going, Yeah, go. She said, so, um, when I came home from there, I couldn't believe how much I had loved it. Yeah. And, um, unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I've got a thousand questions. We'll just keep going. But the, uh, did you hit any real struggles? I mean, the physical struggle of the mountains, stuff like that, but any other struggles mentally, stuff like that, that you had to break through or anything like that? Um, not, not really. Uh, that exact, uh, location in Texas that I was trying to detail, uh, did a poor job because it was, it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Was uh was an emo- it was kind of an emotional evening. Okay, I was a little bit overtaken with how gorgeous the view was. Right, and uh, I brought a you know a non touchscreen brick Nokia phone. Mm-hmm. That was what I brought as a phone. Right, and uh, I did call my 
uh, mom, mm-hmm. and I just said, wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I was about halfway through the trip at that point, doing good. Didn't check in every night or anything, so this is kind of the first call. Right. And I just said, it's gorgeous here. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the only time I, I like felt an emotion that I wish I could share with someone. Yeah. Definitely. Right, right there. That moment, if I could recreate it and someone else felt the same thing, that would have been awesome. Yeah. When did you become obsessed? What, at what age or what was that trend? What you know, was that progression like? And I always think about this in the coaching. It's hard to get away from that. But I, I know as a young kid when, when uh, again, my dad put that court up and it was really a nice court and everybody in town would come and play on that. Uh, I know that back in the olden days because that's when it was when i was when i was i would i became obsessed when ma would call me and it would be getting dark in the summer and i'd always have to leave i couldn't leave the court until it it, because of my competitiveness until i made six or eight shots in a row depending upon how many spots i picked for that night right but i had to make two in a row from each spot yeah and if i missed the say the tenth one I had to start over again. Right. And there was many, many nights where I was out there in the pitch dark getting yelled yeah. at, but <laughs> because we didn't have a light on the court, uh, but I would have to finish that. I think that summer was when we transitioned from working or, you know, shooting on the, in front of the gravel court mm-hmm. to having a concrete pad to shoot on. Right. Um, Cause it was, I think it was that summer then too, that I used to, um, you know, as you spread your fingers out to shoot well, your pinky would stay out. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was shooting in October, and it was cold outside, and my pinky, being out by itself, was getting cold. Yeah. So I started tucking it in, huh. and now it's tucked in always, and it's just <laughs> the same spread out. But it's because of that shooting in October at 9 o'clock at night and under the light yeah. that... Um, I changed that for for that. Yeah, and it's still like that to this day. Still like that to this day. Mm-hmm. And so I got him hooked up to the sled, and I was like, "Okay, now what?" <laughs> <laughs> they're all looking at me, and they're like, "Now what?" Yeah. And so I said, "Okay." I started running, and they chased me, and they pulled the sled past me, and I hopped on. And of course, they stopped. (laughs) And they looked back at me like, what are you doing? Come on. So I did that about eight times. I got down to the other end of our road where there was an old abandoned farm. And the power line running away from the abandoned farm was the chicken trail. Sure. They had run around our roads our houses and they got on this power line and ran to Leon's house. Well, when they figured out they were on the chicken trail... I didn't have to coax them anymore. They just hmm. took off, and I fell over and almost lost that sled. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far they would have got without me, but now I know if you let a sled go, the dogs keep going until they get caught on something, huh. and you walk. Right. Um, so I started driving that sled down to Leon's house and back and uh, became obsessed with what's next. Hmm. And, yeah. In that? ride was pretty exciting like that very first ride that was i don't know i don't know how to describe it it was absolutely brand new 
thing that brought up brand new feelings, um, primordial feelings about, wow, this is what they did thousands of years ago. This is how they opened up Alaska and the Yukon. Mm-hmm. This is how miners got their stuff into their first mining camps. This is how mining camps were built. Right. And uh, all that's going through my head. And then it's just like, wow, these dogs, they're just doing this. I'm not making them do it. I don't have to convince them to do it. They just seem to love to do it. Right. And uh, it was just such, it was so natural. That Mm -hmm. was one of the things that really got me hooked on it is that it was just such a natural. I used to um, sometimes go fishing before work early in the morning, especially for like uh, steelhead or somewhere, you know, the bite's going to generally be a little better. And Mm -hmm. when my son was just still at the, under a year old or around that age, um, he'd be up early. I'd, the rest of the family sleep and i'd take them down with me and i had one of those big tupperware tubs so i'd have them sit in my lap when i'm trolling and as soon as i got ahead i'd stick them in that tupperware with his blanket you know <laughs> i fought the fish <laughs> a lot of it comes i think you have to believe in yourself mm-hmm. like you have to have a really almost an arrogant intense believe in yourself because if you if you don't believe in yourself probably nobody else is going to so mm-hmm. I mean, that can probably be sports or whatever else. Right. But that that belief is either going to manifest itself externally where the person extre- appears extremely cocky yeah. or it could be an internal belief that other people don't see. So you could see the, the most mild-mannered, kind of even-keeled person, but I can guarantee deep down inside they have an extreme cockiness that that you may not be able to see, but if you don't have that, then you're not going to be able to deal with adversity. What about too? I'm picturing like, again, I'm talking about the adventurous side of picturing you're a seven-year-old kid going out in your backyard on this adventure and you're a pioneer or whatever mm-hmm. else. I still feel like there's like an element of that in there. Oh. I don't know. I, I, I would be thinking about that kind of stuff myself, like thinking I'm a, on a, a Theodore Roosevelt riding through the Badlands mm-hmm. on my horse or something like that. You know what I mean? Is there, yeah. do you feel like that at no, all? No, it does. It definitely, yeah. um, it definitely tends to take you back in time for sure. It's like, yeah, because it's such a simple thing just a man and a horse, and, and you know, this animal lives off the land the same as we have for hundreds of years, right? And it's, and I don't know, it's just one of those things like from day one, a horse just it always made sense to me, mm-hmm. I guess, you know. Hmm go up and do three touch and goes on the runway solo and i remember the first time i took off that you're you're much lighter because the instructor you've just been doing a bunch of takeoffs and landings with an instructor with you and all of a sudden the plane is a much lighter when he gets out so it jumped off the runway real fast and that feeling when you're first flying you look at the seat next to you and there's no one sitting there and you go it's all up to me no one else is here and that feeling, I remember it was like fist pumping through the air, going, I'm flying an airplane. Right. And did my touch and goes. And then, yeah, hard to describe that, that feeling. When you hear other pilots talk about their first solo, most everyone has a similar experience where you'll remember that forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just a funny story. So when I first went to Alaska, they hired, they hired me for two weeks. And they, they want to get a head start on the firewood. Well, we grew up cutting firewood. Right. <laughs> so I was the laziest, probably the laziest, worst firewood cutter in all the Hercuses. Yeah. 
But uh, when I went to Alaska, I was unreal. They're, yeah. they're like, oh, you're really good at this. Yeah. Like, that's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. Well, they said they usually take all summer, all the people at the campground take all summer to cut all their firewood. Right. Well, I did it in two weeks, and it was that was like for our standards it was pretty slow and lazy yeah. but for their standards it was great so they then hired me for the whole summer because huh. they were so impressed yeah <laughs> so cut, cutting firewood for the you get a chance yeah you might think you're this average firewood cutter but who knows you might be a star right i mean it it wasn't much but it, it felt like something you right. know yeah um <clears throat> and we'll dive into shortly again i keep saying we'll get dive into the experience of coming up here and what where that started from but yeah circumstance that got you into it uh-huh. did you feel like that was meant to be like you were meant to experience that or was that just inevitable it was going to happen i'm just curious like mm-hmm. like you said if you had money you could have been in a nice place and life could have taken you on a different path yeah do you look at it that or how do you look at those experiences those first off the grid experiences well that's a good question um maybe it was i don't know i i logan i don't know how things like that work i don't know if there's fate um i think there very well could be i I just don't know but it was definitely um those experiences i i think led us just down the road to where we go. Mm-hmm. And if we did have a little more money for whatever reason, um, I think there's a good chance. Maybe we, we don't end up living like this. Yeah. Um, just because it wasn't always easy, but I think our experience with these different living situations was a positive one. Yeah. Be, living in the woods, you know, was a positive one. Um, having to be a little bit cre- creative with our housing was a, it was tough at times, yep. but I think it was a positive experience. Um, uh, sometimes having that release or, or a break or whatever else of, of being able to have that focus makes you a better and more concentrated parent yes. when you are, in, in, when you are there. Yes. Yes. And on that note, I have dealt with mental stuff. I've sure. dealt with anxiety and this helped that a lot. Did it? Yeah. 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 For my confidence and my own strength, my own mind strength Mm -hmm. you know and um so that yeah of course the kids benefit from that Mm -hmm. a healthy mom yeah for sure yeah the on that note i mean it's uh, the uh, the longer you live in this life you realize who doesn't have their own yes things you know and that's not to take away from yours that's to give you permission to have that you know what i mean yes yes give you permission that's huge you're allowed right because everybody is Mm -hmm. you know right the, I don't know if you were there or not, but the 515 class just finished up. The 615 class came in and nobody was leaving. I was like, what's going on? And then they gave me like a giant Christmas card yeah. with like a bunch of stuff. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. You guys really, really appreciate me being here. And I, I yeah, you're right. You see everybody, this, the same people every single day. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just business as usual. Right. Um, you maybe get a little dissatisfied or a little content. Mm-hmm. And then you get that, that kick in the pants. You're like, whoa, okay, what I do really does make a difference. Right. I need to step my game up. Yeah. And it might already, you might not need to, but it, you know, that that's what it was for me. It's like, I am appreciated. Yeah. That's got to be contagious, hey? That excitement, like you got to feed off of that. Oh, yeah. See how it's, fired up he is. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the best. Like the dog's fired up, you know, 
my brother's dogs fired up. Yeah. Me, that gets me and my brother fired up. Right. Yeah. Throw the dogs in, crank the music. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's just, it, everybody's getting hyped up. It's, it's right. a great time. Yeah. Real high energy. Eh? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I think it's more maybe just me being stubborn. Sure. And, and having high expectations of myself. Yeah. Um, less so than being better than somebody else is just being as good as I know I can be mm-hmm. or as good as I think I should be. Right. And that's healthy, right? I'm saying being more internal versus I need to beat the next guy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And like nervous of him and trying to be like right there for him and helping him because I knew he had fish up there for years. Right. And uh, by the end of it, he was like, told my captain, he's like, that boy will never make it as huh. a deckhand. Really? And that, that fired me up. And, you know, it got me going. And he so said, he actually made a, he made a hundred dollar bet with my captain that I wouldn't make it through the season. Unreal. And because he came back in September and he was like, he ain't going to make it through the season and he is not going to be a good deckhand. Right. And that whole time when I would feel tired or I would feel like kind of getting bogged on and just be like, got to think of so-and-so because I'm taking that hundred dollars from him, you know, it yeah. just got me fired up about it. At the time, when we were up in Calumet, we had a lot of the older stuff until they put in the new gym that they mm-hmm. currently have now. Um, I was I fell in love even more. Right. You know, to have access to all these power racks, to have dumbbells that go up to 125 pounds. Yeah. That start at five pounds. Um, different bars, um, lap pull-down machine, just all different kind of stuff that was just very unique and special to basically being able to grow. Right. Yeah. In every season of the year while trying, and I would like to do this more, trying to get to every corner of the UP, you know, for those sunrises and the Fresh Coast Film Festival. um, You know, it's not inherently about the UP, but it's about putting um, the UP on the map rather than being flyover country, as some say and highlighting the Great Lakes and still everything's about kind of building up the culture of this place, celebrating the culture of this place. And while I acknowledge a lot of the UP stereotypes, um, I've never stepped into the role of playing those up. Okay. Um, and just kind of like figuring out what the Upper Peninsula means to me and, and try to connect with people through it. Yeah, for sure. Have you seen, I suppose it's a world you're engaged in, but I, I'm a real estate agent. We have a lot of people coming from outside the area that are excited for the UP. Uh, it used to be that people would maybe not move here because of the winters and, and say, hey, that's I'm not cut out for that. Now people are moving here because of the winters and that's what they're looking for or because of the just the beauty. It feels like the secret's out. It feels like there's no turning back. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's changed a lot since I started that little brand in 2008. You know, it's been almost 15 years. And I think there's a few key things, you know, that have really changed the culture. Um, pictured rocks. National Lakeshore has been put in national media mm-hmm. more and more. And that's kind of one growth area. Our uh, micro brewing industry, you know, from, from KBC to Black Rocks to Ordoc and all the rest have really elevated that scene. And, you know, there's a whole group of tourism that are coming up just to visit the breweries, mm-hmm. no matter what the season is. But yeah, the whole winter culture between fat tire biking and then mm-hmm. summer mountain biking, you know, has has really put the UP on the map for a lot of outdoor recreation, um, a lot of silent sports from, you know, it's a destination for 
for climbers and kayakers and stand up paddle boarding and, and, and literally any of the outdoor sports you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, people have really realized that you can, can do it all in the UP. Yeah. And just the beauty of it. I mean, it's a hidden gem for sure. Yeah. And you could, a person could dramatize whatever they went through, but in my head, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. It feels like the players that came through Calumet typically had a, a higher level of fight. You know what I mean? Oh, there's tough. Yeah. The toughness, the grit. Um, and part of that is because I, like one of my favorite things to do uh, on that first week of football is sit on my tailgate at the, like I'd park right in the middle of the gate where you guys would walk out of the locker room. Right. And I'd sit on the tailgate of the truck and go, hey, going swimming? And uh, like one year, it was uh, probably one of your years too. Uh, first one out, nah, you got work boots on, dirty yeah. jeans and a flannel <laughs> and it's 85 after like a five hour practice. I'm going, you going swimming? No, I gotta go to work. Yeah. Work, what are you doing? Oh, I gotta go split wood. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Next one come out. Who's a cousin of that kid? I go, you going to split wood? No, I got to go work in the pit. Yeah. What's the pit? Well, my uncle owns a gravel pit. I got to go shovel gravel. Yeah. And so it would just be one story after the other. Split wood, got to go make hay, got to go and cut grass. And, you know, most other kids around the UP and around around the country playing football or going to the beach and going home to take naps and relax and... Not our kids. They're going out to work another eight hours. I know just through my personality type that if I was into any type of substance, I would be all in on that as well. Mm -hmm. So it can absolutely be a detrimental thing, right? Having that personality trait that I think is beneficial in work and in whatever it might be. So it's beneficial here, but it can be detrimental here. It's the same trait. It's the same personality. Is that is it that personality that is attracted towards this larger scale trip like this? Wow, that's very interesting. I, I think I could venture to say yes. Um, maybe not only them, but yeah, I could see that. Um, a lot of people like that out there. I have a very similar personality trait. Um, if I'm into something, I'm, I'm very into it. Uh, so long distance hiking and running. Uh, maybe you could say that I'm obsessed with uh, moving my body around with my feet in whatever way it is that I can. So I, I can't go for a full through hike right now, but I can go out trail running every day and try and get 10, 20 miles on the Mastojito trails locally. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely see like an addictive personality getting a hold of through hiking and just the, the freedom it gives them, but also the uh, effort they have to put in to, to get that freedom. Yeah, it's a very attractive thing. I've never been a storyteller. I think people, I, I've seen people actually just walk away before. Really? So. <laughs> Yeah, people don't don't really always care what you have to say, right? So, yeah. and it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's like, yeah, I guess the conversation wasn't going well, so right. it's easier for both of us. Like, honestly, I think we should dispense with the goodbyes. Like, that's what we should just all these formalities. I would personally be be perfectly okay if uh, when you're done talking, you just walk away. Yeah, I I wouldn't if we just can stop being offended or whatever and having expectations just. Yeah, when you don't feel like doing something, just don't. Right. And to a point, obviously, if it's, you know, obviously for the world to work and for, like, industry to continue and stuff, you can't just do that all the time. But when it's just interact, when it's just your social life, I don't know, just do whatever. Yeah. And then I, some of my other, 
Yeah, because but if it's not on the flip side, the kids just go wild. It's yeah, zero oh, yeah. or one hundred. You know yeah. What I mean? Oh <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, they like I got these wireless mics that they all like. <laughs> they're like the Beastie Boys. They just yeah. they're all they they come they they were crowding around the piano and like just <laughs> because you're mine, I walk the line. You know, it's just, like they were. It's <laughs> it's, it's something, but yeah. I think these pigs ate more pastry ever, like fancy pastries. They were the most well-fed pigs ever. Right. Um, but to have that relationship, to see where my meat came from and to really, really appreciate it. Yeah. How much hard work it was for me, but for them and to savor that meat instead of um, go to Burger King or McDonald's and just eat a burger and not think about it. Mm-hmm. Going to school, you mentioned that was scary, but how much of it was scary because of the school is new or scary because you're leaving behind the safe and the secure and the, I mean, the family business, right? You could have easily just stuck that out for your life and retired and went on your merry way. But how much of it was, or is it again, probably both, but can you touch on that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the scariest thing was probably stepping away from the family business, to be honest. I, I think it was um, probably somewhat, maybe it was just even in my mind, the way that other people would think sure. about it, about maybe me. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that was an insecurity on my part. And actually, um, the the second thing is it's what I knew. Mm-hmm. So you're stepping away from everything that you know into something completely different. Um, and after I started going into school then I, I probably let some of that go i mean now it's just it's what i what i do and it, what other people think don't bother me i guess as right. you had mentioned the uh partial dyslexia mm-hmm. or something right i'm Can not diag- i'm not diagnosed but okay i'm pretty much self-diagnosed i've the amount of research i've done on it and um like i don't want to know if it, like symptoms is the right word but yeah, I'm pretty much line up to a T. Okay. Uh, but I, I follow you on different social media things and yeah. you write quite a bit and it's very well written. So, it, Yeah, but if you, you break it down, my grammar's terrible. There's okay. usually some kind of spelling error in there. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff that somebody else who like is pretty detail oriented always catches me on and they'll sure. message me and, hey, you have a typo. Hey, this is structured wrong, whatever. And it's like, well, great. Yeah, I'd like exactly from a big picture standpoint, getting my message across, I do pretty well. Right. But if you tell me to articulate it perfectly, it's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but part of it is like the honesty though, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like you're very honest with the the message that you put out there. And who cares if it's missing a period or something, right? That's uh, my philosophy. <laughs> yeah, right. Are not our favorites mm-hmm. that we're not even excited about. Right. So why do we still have the shirts that we're not even the slightest bit excited about? That we still are taking up space, folding, washing, storing, and yet we're not excited about it at all. Right. And instead, every day you could be wearing, or every third day or whatever it is, wearing your favorite shirt. Sure. So why not? Right. And uh, one in particular was my grandfather, who was a blacksmith. Okay. Huh. And, uh, yeah. And I spent a lot of time on his farm around the blacksmith shop, and we took for granted all the things that were handmade that we used every day on the farm. Yeah. And uh, then working with my father, who was a builder, and then getting into 
business for myself and working with uh, good mechanical and plumbing people. And I have a father-in-law who was a master electrician who helped you out and he took the time to explain stuff to you. Uh, by the way, I think the electrical on a boat was fi by far the most complicated part of the whole thing hmm. and it's something you never think about or see right right yeah so i was able to follow it and i had been listening to podcasts uh big woods box podcast yeah yeah so i that's where i was getting my tracking information i'm not a tracker by any means yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i had <clears throat> followed that deer and it was stopping under trees and eating under every apple tree it went under looking for apples so uh, and listening to their podcast they're saying when deer start doing that they're ready to bed down so i was thinking i must be getting close to it so then i, I was stopping for longer periods of time just hoping to see it and then at one point i had stepped out then of the brush and stopped and waited and took a few more steps and it had jumped up and ran hmm. and it was down kind of in a little dish full of elder brush um <clears throat> with that though like some of the the clips that you have like those deer crossing the the bay and is it in eagle harbor or something like that yeah uh, un unreal like yeah. how do you get the eye for that is that just so a um for i don't know if anyone you know where that old coast guard station is out on that little peninsula yeah. in eagle harbor across from the lighthouse yeah so we i eagle harbor and and like cliff drive are like my go-to like I, I i always when i go up north which i go up there a lot yeah that's what i call it going up north i don't know just up in the queue and on driving around um can i can yeah. i jump back to the oh, yeah, uh, the pluto yeah day? How did you learn how to ask better follow-up questions? Just by watching other people? Did they physically teach you that? How did you learn that? Yeah, it was observation. Okay. Um, yeah, I think a big thing for me, especially like really early on in my career, um, was borderline being intimidated by such like brilliant researchers. Okay. Um, so it was kind of my my brain was like, okay, you, you've done it. You've come up with like a, you know, I think my I was too focused on like asking questions that made it seem like I knew what I was talking about. Sure. Um, but like, okay, great. You've come up with this clever, insightful question. You've asked it. And oh no, now you have to listen to what they're saying mm -hmm. and come up with a follow-up question if you have one. <laughs> right. And yeah. Then, I don't know if you remember, but in the uh, at the end of American Graffiti, they run a little thing about, they show the main characters again and what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is missing in Vietnam, and uh, one, the most conservative one who didn't leave home to do anything, he's an insurance agent. Mm -hmm. And um, one, oh God, one got killed in a car accident. He's the guy who stayed on the street too long and was a drag racer all the time. He finally paid the price by betting killed. Mm -hmm. And the other one is uh, the lead character in American Graffiti, he does leave town, he does everything right, but the Vietnam War comes along and screws up his entire plans. He was going to go become a White House intern and go into politics and stuff. Vietnam War sent him to Canada. Hmm. He fled the country to go to Canada. Mm -hmm. 
And I always remembered that closing. I used to use American Graffiti in the automobile in America class every damn year. <laughs> and I talk about mobility in America and should you stay or should you go and all that. And so when I got done in my chapter and I talked about these kids, I said, you know, Doug became vice president of uh, Habitat for Humanity. Not bad. Hmm. <laughs> um, another one became vice president of an insurance company. Right. Another one became an engineer and was racing cars in California. Um, and my girlfriend got killed in an auto accident later on. So that's how you, you put together something like a movie and your own life. Yeah. And try to make sense of it all and have fun writing it out so that the people you spent time with during that era, if they ever read this chapter, it'll make a lot of sense to them, you know? Mm -hmm. It's also amazing that they still maintain humility. Um, sure. We actually, so my my significant other got very sick, um, and we I ended up sending a message to one of the UFC champions, and she she was in a like a medically induced coma for a few months, and uh, when she woke up, one of the first memories or things that she did was I showed her a fight. It was a a fight she missed because she's a huge fight fan. Mm -hmm. And it was a championship fight between Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena. Hmm. And Pena was a huge underdog. And Juliana Pena won that fight. And she won the title. And when I showed that to her when she first woke up, she, like, she cheered so much. Like, she was, like, throwing her arms up, legs up. Like, I hadn't seen that happiness in months because she, mm -hmm. she was she's so sick. And I, I sent an Instagram message to the UFC champion. Like, you'd never expect them to see it. Like, I sent it just to be like, hey, this is a really cool moment that you don't unknowingly were a part of. Mm -hmm. And you really made somebody a sick person's day. I just want you to know that. Right. And that's all I said. And I never thought she'd reply. She sent back a message. She, she was on Tough, took time off Tough to film, like, a little video with her and all the castmates sending support. Hmm. And then she sent at the at the academy right now we have her tough her shirt from tough the right. ultimate fighter and a, a signed glove that she sent to her to like say hey get better yeah and that's like that's humility at, at its core right is we didn't even i didn't ask for anything it's not i didn't ask for a donation i didn't ask for a present i just said hey this is a really cool moment and she goes wow that's you know let me let me send something to a fan who might need it hmm. you know and and i think that's where the martial arts breed those types of people who care about others who are generally good people and, and who, you know, on the drop of a dime will help others, you know, and, and that's something that's really powerful and, and something I enjoy being a part of that community. Right. Right. First time you went and played, was that a pretty surreal moment? I still remember it to this day. So we were playing Hurley. Uh, it was JV game Thursday night playing on Ironwoods Field. Um, and it was it was phenomenal. Um, I got to go out and, you know, some they wanted me, like the doctors wanted me to wear a neck roll and everything because they thought I'm like, I ripped the dang thing off after that game. It was cause I thought I was going to get hurt more with just having the dang thing on, you know. Yeah. So I got rid of that. But just when I got out there, the crowd went absolutely <laughs> crazy. And, and I remember it. And we were actually winning that game and it got canceled at halftime or they shut it down because of lightning. Yeah. But it was, I still remember that. And another one that sticks out to me is my first varsity game. We were playing Houghton and I got in. 
um, I don't know how true it is, but someone said they were at the local grocery store, Super One on US2. They said they heard the crowd from there. I'm like, huh. I don't know if that's legit, right. but I'm like, that's pretty cool. And I still remember going in and everything. And um, the first play I was in, they, they had a offsides in the defense. They called my name, but I didn't move. And I'm yeah. like, what the heck? Why yeah. am I getting called? I didn't even move. <laughs> and then the guy to my right, he moved. And I'm like, well, whatever. You know, he just took it like a grain of salt. Right. Um, but that was, I remember that very clear. And a lot of the games I remember, you know, you remember the All-Star game. And um, one of the games that sticks out too was playing in Calumet my junior year. It was a mud game. And it was just muddy and everything, and I got a few good tackles that game, and but we lost still, you know. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You remember the crowd and going out and just the the feeling and the lights at Longyear Field, and it, oh, I miss it. Yeah, <laughs> my senior year of high school. Now remember, Hancock High School was right across the street from Wimple Radio, and senior year of high school, we got the guys that were working at Wimple, got the station manager to allow us to do a quote-unquote pirate radio show yeah. on some Friday nights from midnight to one. <laughs> so if you remember, you don't remember, you're way too young, but the right. old radio format for uh, back then was WZRK, the FM version of Wimple Radio, was um you know the the top 40 rock songs of the early 80s mitch mitch lake was the you know the dj the happening dj and all that stuff so there were all these old great songs carted up and for those who don't know what carts are they're like an eight track player type of cassette Mm -hmm. and so we had they were all these boxes that nobody was using because the format had changed and so we were allowed there was about four of us we were allowed to go down there and just screw around for an hour from midnight to one on these Friday nights in the spring of 1990, mm-hmm. my graduating year. And we had a blast. We would play, you know, play whatever songs we wanted. We thought we were cool. We would record it and play it back. And that kind of got the bug going. So uh, I came to Tech in 67 and then in 72 graduated and started working in early 73 in Alpena, Michigan. Okay. And I worked for a fellow named O.B. Eustace, Horrible Blanton Eustace, and he was from Laurel, Mississippi. Hmm. He was 60 years old, and he had been an avid woodcock hunter uh, his whole life. Uh, he would also um, hunt other birds and deer and that, mm-hmm. uh, but mainly he was just a woodcock hunter, and he really was enamored with the bird and taught me the world huh. of how to do it with my brother jerry so okay so initially with jerry uh out on i mean taking boats out trolling and stuff or casting off shores or what were you you remember what you were doing yeah just casting off shores fishing the rivers um even my like our camper so when i was a kid our camper had a lock on it, a chain lock and um you could open it from the outside but it was high enough i couldn't reach because at five in the morning at four years old i would take off and go fishing my parents wouldn't be able to find me when we we're camping yeah. so i mean <laughs> i was pretty pretty pumped on fishing right from the start so yeah do you remember before well, good yeah. good writing um i mean to me anytime anyone quotes something i've written mm-hmm. a line that i've written man it makes my day right yeah. and i i'm and then there's certain things i you know, i could probably go back and come up with a few ideas on what some of my favorite lines of my own are but right sitting here i really don't remember but um yeah but but i i really 
when I read good writing, that when people can take something like what Heberlein wrote there, and this, and you know, take, I I told them when I got done with um, editing that that forward, I um, I was the, I was that book's editor, and I thought Heberlein's forward outclassed everything that followed it in sure. that book. It was just such a powerful forward because he really, in in two pages, summed up Deer Camp. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But, you know, also to accept help. Yeah. When somebody is offering. Because I will say, I hit a point in my treatment where it was towards the end of the second one. So I had been in this chemo crap for almost three years. And I was, I had had enough. So I'm alone in the room getting poisoned. And I said a prayer. And I said, if I'm supposed to beat this, give me the strength. Because I don't have it anymore. Yeah. But if I'm not, then just take me. I'm ready to go. You know, I was 11 years old or something. And for some crazy reason, the next whatever rounds of treatments were tolerable. And then maybe two months later, they said I was free of cancer. Unreal. That's powerful. It's crazy. So if you're a praying person, pray. There's power in it. Yeah. And and of course, you didn't know that at that young age as well, right? Uh, or when you were young, looking out at the ore freighter and being excited about it, you had no idea. And oh, also gosh. even going to school. Do you ever think that you... Do you ever like look back and say, hey, I wish I would have pursued what I had gone to school for? Or do you feel pretty fortunate? Yeah, I'm pretty fortunate. You know, um, I'm uh, I'm just one of those lucky people, I think, that uh, kind of stumbled into doing the right thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Uh, 1A, go down to this, uh, down to this uh, desk down here. I went down there and there was a big sergeant sitting there, not fat, but big. <laughs> And he says, uh, Henrietta, yes, 1A, yes. Uh, you're going to Shepherd Field, Texas. I said, what? Shepherd Field, Texas. I said, when? Oh, he said, when the train comes to market this evening, you're going to be on that. Oh, no, no. I said, we're all going home. He stood up and he looked like he was six feet high. He said, you're going to Shepherd Field, Texas. You're going to be into the Air Force. And there's one word you take out. Take out no from your vocabulary. From now on, when you're told something, it's yes, sir. Oh. I said, I only got about $5 in my wallet. Don't worry, you'll be taken care of. My mother and dad are preparing for me to come home that evening. And like I said, telephones weren't that easy to connect with. And I thought, well, he said, we're going to get in touch with your parents. But as I was walking away, my Uncle Joe was on a contingent from Calumet. Ooh, and I said, Uncle Joe, will you go down to my mother's and dad's and tell them that I won't be home? He said, what the hell are you going to do, skip? I said, no, 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 I'm going to Shepherdfield, Texas, the Air Force. <laughs> oh, no, 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 he said. We're all going home. I said, you see that big sergeant over there? 
go tell him that this boy's just not going to go. <laughs> but then I showed him the papers and and that we I got into the Air Force in training, graduated from gunnery school, pretty good. Oh, I enjoyed that. Uh, did a lot of flying, and, and uh, it was just a tail gunner school, and the tail gun was in a turret with two fifty calibers. They were close to my arms, made a lot of noise, and uh, they would... The guns will move up and down with your narrative, right? Right. And part of that story for me, and we were th- I was tying that into music, is for you. Can you picture, I don't remember what year or what age we were, driving to a football game, all the players on the bus were like stomping our feet and hitting the seats, and you're singing We Will Rock You as we go. Oh, yeah, dude. I remember, you remember that? that. Yeah. And Crow's even laughing up front to me. Like, <laughs> if I had a movie about my life, that would be a scene. Like the Yeah. Uh, well, one of the, one of the scenes in, in, in that respect that sticks out for me is when we were in school, and it was a talent show and I was walking up to my seat and there was a bunch of people around me and randomly, I don't know why I did this, but I just did it. And I just said, when I say Hillshire, you say farms. And I said it really loud and I said it and everyone in the room said farms and I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. that's funny. Anyway, again, back as a freshman, I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Like, I'm a freshman. I'm, you know, listen to this guy. And I remember going, running to the library and, 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 and getting Scientific American and, 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 and copying every page of it, very long paper, and reading the whole thing again. And, and I, you know, as a freshman, you know, it's a little odd. I, I, maybe I was a little odd, but, but uh, that really affected me yeah uh you know uh, i mean we all use cars and shot my first arrow went right in the middle everything was great knocked my second arrow and there was something about the click when when i knocked that arrow and it just hit me that it was my last arrow and i did it i did it um and i started crying and i'm like oh you're stupid stop stop crying stop crying you still have an arrow to shoot you know you can't you can't afford to um and i couldn't i couldn't stop crying and the girls all came up and and were trying to calm me down and encourage me to not hurry up and shoot that last arrow but i just i wanted it gone i just i needed but i got myself together um and shot it and it went in the middle and I just dropped to my knees because I was so thankful to have completed the course. I, you know, I didn't know in March when I had my second surgery, I didn't know that I would shoot outside at all this year. And I love shooting outside. I love it. Um, being in the woods with my, I just love it. And this is my favorite shoot. And, and I just, I wanted it so bad. And I worked, I worked so hard not to win, but to be out there physically able to shoot that shoot. And so there I am in the dirt. We still have to go score, but I'm in the dirt sobbing. And there were other groups walking off the course. And I'm just so embarrassed because I'm this blubbering mess. And <laughs> and they're stopping and they're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Is she okay? Is she hurt? And yeah, she's she's just being a blubber, you know, like she's just, just, yeah, just a little emotional. But I, I honestly, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> 